This is The Difference, a podcast for nonprofit fundraising in a for-profit world, presented by Convergent Nonprofit Solutions, a leader in nonprofit fundraising. Convergence professionals can help your nonprofit secure sustainable funding now and for the future. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jay Worth with Convergent Nonprofit Solutions and very pleased to have as our guest Horton Hobbs. He's the Vice President of Economic Development for the Greater Springfield Partnership, also known uh, essentially as the Chamber. He also has spent time in a development role, uh, raising money for the Springfield uh, Foundation. He did that for six years or so. And for the last 11 years, he's been Vice President of Economic Development for the Greater Springfield Partnership. And Horton, first of all, I'm curious, you've been in and around economic development now for, you know, well over a dozen years, you know, getting close to 20 years or so. How have you seen economic development change over the last decade or so? What are the expectations from your constituents about what it is your or what they think you should be doing versus what you know you should be doing. Most certainly, the the environment with which we operate in communities today is much different than it was ten years ago. Heck, it's it's much different, really, than it was five years ago. You know, it used to always be all about buildings and sites and and incentives, um, and we started to see back in two thousand twelve. The beginnings of the conversation around workforce, and and as we all know today, that's accelerated to to if it's not the number one uh, issue facing companies. Candidly, I'm not really sure what is aside from some very specific concern or need that a, that a industry might have. But so for us, we began a process that began even longer than a, a decade ago to begin to look at workforce as as really part of what economic development was becoming and what it what it really needed to be. And so we've been very focused in that realm and from our constituents and the expectation, there's a couple things. One, you know, they want to have a professionally run, competent staff that's able to help them navigate if you're an existing business that is help help you navigate the community. Um, and, and sometimes that's the, the tradi- traditional business development kinds of things, but oftentimes it's connecting them to resources in the community, uh, whether that's workforce or it's things like caterers. I mean, it, it crosses the, the realm. When we're looking at a business attraction apparatus, uh, the expectation, again, is that you have a professional group of, of individuals that are helping that. But, you know, what I find the best economic development entities are not, you know, in a silo doing this work by themselves. And so the expectation in our community, and I certainly hope it is in others, is that we're the broker of the relationships, if you will, with with many partners that touch projects, whether that's uh, a government official or it's another company uh, to provide credibility to the region or to the community. You know, our role is really to kind of be the glue that that brings that that group together. And you know, when you begin to do that, I see so many of my peers that are transaction based and you know, they are measuring everything they do by the transactions. So it's how many jobs have been created or what the CapEx is. And while those are important metrics, what we have found to be the most important aspect of what we do and the expectation that's been uh, placed on us is that we're relationship brokers. 
Uh, we don't focus on transactions. We focus on relationships. And candidly, if a company is coming to our community and it's transaction focused only, we're really not that interested in having them be a part of our community. So I think that's changed. And I think that that landscape, uh, because workforce and connectivity to community is so important today, that economic development entities uh, really, if they haven't pivoted or, or shifted focus, they humbly believe they need to. And that's been the real secret to our success. So we've developed m multiple workforce solutions um, that have really been the result of having stable funding uh, to allow us to invest in the infrastructure to do that. That's what our campaign helped us do. About 68% of our budget and our campaign was focused on workforce development or workforce initiatives within our community. And that has played out um, certainly over the campaign period, which I think we're like Three years in, we're entering our fourth year of our campaign now. So what are the specific accomplishments that you point to in the workforce uh, part of your program, which was, is so prominent? Yeah, I would say it began, again, well before we did a, a formal campaign. It began with stakeholder alignment. It was getting all of our partners that touched workforce and industry, business in general, uh, around the table to talk about uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. And we had some very honest conversations in those early years that were uncomfortable for many. Um, you know, you have traditional um, workforce providers and let's just, we'll just use academia as, in general. And there was a traditional misalignment, I would say, with what they were providing and what our businesses were demanding. And what we found was that by having honest conversations with the business community alongside our workforce partners, we were able to unpack the things that were keeping these business owners up at night. And so that allowed us to listen to them. Um, I, I struggle with that sometimes. Uh, sometimes you want to come with the solutions, but oftentimes more times than not, you need to just listen and, and be the problem solver. And so what we ended up doing was creating a whole a continuum of programs that begin in the eighth grade and they extend um, in, in just very basic things like bringing all of our eighth graders in our community together uh, one time a year at multiple time increments and just having opportunities for these kids to see what jobs exist in our, our community. And then that transfers then into internship opportunities in the high school years and then ultimately, hopefully, uh, immediate employment after after high school or um, college or some level of certificate or training that goes thereafter. There's a lot of detail, certainly that I, I'm not I'm not getting into at this point. But we don't look at any one thing. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of the best practice research that we've done and what we've informed our our whole strategy on. We see a lot of communities trying to do one thing, whether that's an internship program or it's a uh, you know job fair or job days. Um, we try to do a continuum of things that build value uh, and build opportunity for for individuals from uh, that beginning point for us at eighth grade all the way through that process to employment and then beyond. And so. Um, yes, it's plug and play, but the reality is that continuum of programs that we have creates this strategy because we have employers that have immediate needs and they have jobs that need to be filled today. That's on one end of the spectrum. But then we have this whole pipeline of potential workforce that we need to develop over time. And those are two uh, very important pieces of this continuum, but they're, they're not the same strategy. 
Um, I'm certainly not going to um, sit here and, and act like I'm endorsing one product over another, but I will tell you about three years ago, I guess it's been four years ago now, um, our director of workforce development, Amy Donahoe, who humbly I believe is the best in the business, she uncovered and, and was introduced to a program called Youth Science, and it's very simply an aptitude test that connects, identifies aptitudes and connects uh, individuals to career clusters based on those aptitudes. And every job falls within one of 16 career clusters. We've really created that as the foundation, that core piece of information that we use now uh, to really help define the experience that we, we help curate, if you will, for the individual or a group of individuals. Um, that's not something we did when we started our campaign, but it's evolved over time. And I would tell you the workforce stuff needs to be an evolution. There's not a one, one trick pony here. I want you to repeat that tool that you used to gauge uh, aptitude because uh, someone is right now grabbing a pencil to write it down. <laughs> It's U-Science, all one word, Y-O-U-S-C-I-E-N-C-E, U-Science.com. Full transparency, we are not uh, paid by them. Uh, we are not uh, endorsed by them, although we are a strong partner with them because um, they've earned it. Uh, and it's just, it, it, we've done over 2,000 assessments now with students in our in our high schools and in some middle schools. And uh, candidly, we've not had a mismatch. We've never had an individual sit down with somebody and review their assessment and not feel like, yeah, they figured something out about themselves. And then the secret sauce to that then is to take that information and then create opportunities for these students, in most cases students, to get exposure to those industries. Um, because what if you don't have an interest in something, uh, typically you don't find you don't find yourself gravitating toward it. Um, and aptitudes and interests are not exactly the same, uh, but oftentimes um, the aptitude uh, results really create an opportunity for a discussion about what interests might evolve out of their aptitudes. And, and the more interests you have that are aligned with your aptitudes, um, the more opportunities for success. Staying on the theme of students, your region has 20 colleges and universities within a 45-minute drive or so of downtown Springfield, Ohio, which is where you are headquartered. Have you figured out how to keep those graduating students in your region rather than flying off to the big city? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And if I had the answer to that, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now. We'd probably have some company that's figured that, that's able to to help people tell their story a little bit better. No, I mean, that's always going to be a challenge, uh, certainly. And I think for us, it part of our campaign actually was to help to raise awareness of the opportunities here. So we're a legacy city that was you know, founded in the early 1800s with a very, very deep and rich uh, manufacturing uh, history. And while that's still very important to our current uh, status and it will be a part of our, our identity moving forward, we had to make sure that people today understood that the, the manufacturing, the service-based businesses, heck, the high tech uh, that we have now, that it's not what maybe their parents or grandparents remember it to be. And so we set on a course to change that. And we created a video series around those 16 industry clusters. We highlighted in-demand jobs. 
uh, around them. So, so there was a visual component for uh, students and, and frankly, their parents to see that that manufacturing shop down the street that they thought was this dirty, um, rickety old place is actually very clean and very high tech. And um, we, it, we take kind of a crawl, walk, run approach to this whole thing. And the first, the first crawling piece is just raising awareness. After that, uh, it became very clear that we needed to do a better job of identifying the people that were leaving every day. And so the student issue of graduating and not retaining is one that has so many different variables uh, to that decision that it's hard to really get your head around it. So what we chose to do instead was start with the group of folks that are captive, if you will, and that are those high school students in particular. And as we've done that, we created a campaign. It's called Consider Clark County. And we put together a job site called ClarkCounty.jobs, all one word. And we use that as a way to work at helping the 56% of our workforce, or about 32,000 people that live in our community, but travel out every day for jobs somewhere else. And so we've done a, a, a very extensive marketing campaign to reach those folks. And this is the, the walk part. The run part then will be as we start to see reverse migration and people actually staying in the community and not leaving for jobs somewhere else because they see an opportunity here, um, then we can start to be more um, intentional, I guess is the best word, at figuring out ways to, to set the hook. Uh, once we have them back in the community, and so that's the approach we've taken. We can't, we can't, um, we can't be all things to these students that are graduating from two year and four year uh, if they don't know the opportunities that exist. And what we found is over the years, over decades, uh, I think we devalued the business opportunities and the employment opportunities in our community for so long um, that we just we didn't see that as a viable option. And so we didn't really talk about it today. That's much different. And uh, we have real alignment with in particular Clark state college here, our local community college. They are um, our biggest partner candidly from a programming and from a, um, a deployment of programs and deployment of how we talk about the opportunities here. And that has really paid dividends. We're in a sweet spot location wise. And again, that's another thing we didn't take advantage of. And the campaign allowed us to get focused around it. We sit right between Dayton and Columbus, right on I-70. And so I think most of your listeners will have heard of the big Intel project that uh, was announced on the on the northeast side of Columbus uh, last year. That's about an hour from our location. And we're already starting to see the impacts of that. But that was really the most recent of a long, long uh, string of wins for the Columbus region and our region. And we're right next to them. And so now they, they, they become very saturated from a population perspective and from a cost perspective. And it's still a great option. But we're finding that our community is a great option for people to live and work here. Uh, and, and, and yes, if, if you have a spouse that's going one direction, a spouse that's going the other, it's a perfect location. So COVID, uh, of all the negative things that happened, COVID became one of those rallying points for us because that remote work made our cost of living and our location one of our greatest selling points. It appears that more and more economic development organizations or partnerships are getting engaged with these critical concerns for the workforce, and that is uh, childcare, uh, is is one of those things that uh, comes to mind, and housing. 
How have you seen the role of your organization change in that regard or progress? Yeah, that's a great question, Jay. And, and I'll take it on, on two different tracks. So the child care one is a big nut to crack and one that is a universal problem. Um, and it really begins with, um, in my opinion, wage rates of employees in that industry area. If you think about it, and I speak with a little bit of experience, my wife worked for 22 years in a daycare system and um, the progression of pay during that time uh, was was not good candidly. And the, the value and the responsibility, I guess I would say, of those employees is so great. But the cost, you got to balance the cost of providing care with being affordable. So what you've seen is either a closing of a lot of the smaller daycares into larger um, nationally or corporately run uh, centers. And, and, and that's because the smaller ones can't really compete uh, a, from workforce perspective, but B, from a cost perspective, it's a huge challenge. And then it becomes a pervasive challenge now as you have, and this has been going on for years, but as you have more women certainly entering the workforce and and deciding to do that, childcare becomes even more important. And men too, there are a lot of stay-at-home dads as well. And, and so that created more pressure in, in the industry area. And if you're in a place like ours, when you have a lot of job growth and you're being successful at, at breaking down the barriers of employment for folks, childcare then becomes that blinking red light on your horizon. I would like to tell you we've got to figure it out, but we do not. Um, because it, once again, it's kind of like the 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 keeping the college student uh, that, that has spent four years in your community or in your region from going somewhere else. It There are many pressures and there are many variables in that, many levers. And so the best thing that we've been able to do is just convene conversations around it. Uh, with employers, with with the providers themselves, and have honest dialogue. But um, I have the pleasure of serving on the Mid-America Board of Directors, Mid-America Economic Development Council. And we just had a best practices conference in Springfield last summer, and one of the panel discussions was around childcare. We're going to have another discussion in Kansas City in May at best practices conference, and they'll be about childcare. So it's one of these emerging things that have been there for a long time, issues that I think economic developers are going to have to play a greater role in at least, if nothing else, convening the conversation and requiring an honest dialogue. To flip on the housing side, we as a community had not seen a housing development that had at any one time 100 or more homes approved uh, for almost four decades, actually a little bit more than 40 years, um, believe it or not. And we were a town at one point of 82,000, and today we're right at about 59,000 in people. Uh, so you can imagine what that did to our housing stock. It's aged. Uh, it's While it may be uh, affordable, quote unquote, it still had a lot of renovation and rehab that needed to be done. Part of that was we weren't seen as an investment grade community because we hadn't grown jobs at a, at a clip that was um, sustainable. We've done that. We've added over 8,000 jobs since our campaign started. Uh, and when I say we, I mean the, the business community. We don't do that. I, I love a lot of my peers say I created X number of jobs. Folks listening, if you're an economic developer, unless you own your own business, you're not creating the jobs. Let's just keep that in mind. You're creating the environment, the ecosystem in which those jobs can be created. So we did that as a, as a community. And then lo and behold, because of this growth in Columbus and because of the growth in the region with, with jobs, the, there became a housing crisis. And it, and it really felt like it came on overnight, but it was growing. We made a very 
difficult decision and it happened to happen about uh, three months before Intel announced. Um, but we had a tech park that we own as an organization, a 200 acre tech park. And we had really struggled for the better part of a decade at getting traction of, of bringing tech related businesses to that park because they were they were located predominantly in Columbus in the Columbus region. And so despite our efforts, we kept marketing in that way and we had a lot of ground sitting there. Our board made a difficult choice to pull our entire technology park off the market. And we then became a part owner, if you will, in a development as an organization uh, that will in total be 400 acres of mixed use and residential that will result in over 1,200 new housing units to be constructed over the next 10 years. So we are certainly very keen to what's happening from the housing market, but we are actually actively engaged in the development of it. We're also very engaged in our downtown redevelopment efforts. Uh, we created an investment fund called Spring Forward, which is a closing capital fund for various kinds of projects in the downtown. But one of the focus areas has been residential. And we've seen over uh, 60 new units or 60 uh, individual units over the last couple of years uh, be built in our downtown. And we have another 120 um, that are slated to begin by the end of the year and another 200 um, that are being planned uh, to be announced in, in another year from now. Of course, we're in a weird market condition today, so that, that may have a little bit of an impact on the timeline. But uh, as you could tell, I can't answer things quickly, but because it's so important to what we're doing, housing has become something that we have tackled. You have given us many good kernels of thought and practices, Horton, and we really appreciate uh, Horton Hobbs visiting us today on our podcast. Horton is the Vice President of Economic Development for the Greater Springfield Partnership located in Springfield, Ohio. For assistance with your fundraising planning and execution, go to convergentnonprofit.com and click on the resources tab. That's convergentnonprofit.com. I'm Jay Worth. Thanks for listening.